I think it's it's impressive in particular because these drops happened in the face of a $70 million opener that really appealed to a very wide uh, range of demographics. So historically, when that happens, a lot of movies in the marketplace tend to, to take a hit. That's not really been happening. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Russ Fisher, the editorial director of the Box Office Studios, and I am here with Rebecca Polly, the deputy editor of Box Office Pro Magazine, and Sean Robbins, the chief analyst at Box Office Pro. And together, we are hashtag family. <laughs> this week, we are going to talk about uh, a number of things anchored by the box office performance domestically of F9. Uh, we'll talk about some release date changes from Warner Brothers and a handful of other topics. Uh, Rebecca, do you want to kick us off here? Uh, I, I will I will kick us off with these Warner Brothers release date changes, Russ, only because I think if you have to say that uh, Dune has changed release dates yet again, you might start crying. It's a, it's a very, I'm, uh, I'm a very, I'm very tough emotionally. I've been hardened over the years. Uh, it, it maybe began when I saw the original Dune movie in theaters, uh, on opening weekend. That may be when I started to build, build a shell around my heart. Uh, but yeah, please go forward. It's an intense moment for us here at the box office podcast as Warner brothers has moved Dune back three weeks from October 1st to October 22nd, still in that crowded autumn corridor. Uh, moving into October 1st, where Dune used to be is the Sopranos prequel, the mini saints of Newark, the first trailer for which is just dropped. I think it looks pretty cool. Never watch the Sopranos, but I'm always down for some uh, cinematic mob violence. So there you go. Uh, and then the new Clint Eastwood film, Cry Macho, has moved up a month from October 22nd to September 17th. So um, a little bit of release date shuffling around the uh, September-October time frame, but, but certainly nothing, uh, you know, no huge list of movies changing release dates and, and, and no huge changes. And in further evidence that, uh, fingers crossed, knock on wood, things are finally starting to ease up a bit when it comes to uh, COVID's impact on this industry. We have some data from our friends at Comscore about France, specifically the really encouraging statistic that the attendance numbers for the weekend of June 18th through the 20th were actually above the attendance numbers for that equivalent weekend in 2019 and 2018. Uh, that's attributable to a good mix of Hollywood content, local content, um, but France, big, big movie-loving culture, and, and they really are uh, seeing a big growth in their theatrical admissions, which which we're happy to see. And and likewise, Sean, we have some good data to report uh, on the domestic front as well. Yeah, this weekend we hit a, a somewhat important milestone, I think we can say. The domestic box office hit a billion dollars for 2021, which... You know, usually we're used to talking about that kind of kind of a number much earlier in the year, but uh, compared to where we were a year ago, uh, that that's quite quite an achievement. I think at this point, especially considering that roughly seventy percent or more of that has come with just in the last few months. So things are definitely picking up pace in North America, and uh, hopefully, it's going to uh, you know be be all about the momentum keeping on into the second half of the year. We're going to talk a little bit more about F9 and its performance in just a moment, but first we have a word from Dolby. Today's episode is brought to you by Dolby Laboratories. 
Differentiate your offering with the Dolby Auditorium packages, which allow you to tailor the right solution for your business needs to create a spectacular experience for moviegoers. The Dolby Auditorium packages are bundled to provide considerable cost savings and have an optional low-cost extended warranty, significantly reducing the total cost of ownership. Dolby products are quality-tested in multiple configurations to ensure the highest quality and reliability. Dolby brings decades of audio excellence and innovation that create spectacular experiences for moviegoers. Visit professional.dolby.com forward slash cinema for more information. Thanks so much to, to Dolby for sponsoring this episode. And uh, hopefully they appreciate that, yay, this is a, a very positive episode here because with the domestic debut of F9, we have seen the highest domestic opening since before the pandemic. Uh, in fact, since December 2019 with the release of Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, F9 debuted to an estimated $70 million from 4,179 locations uh, itself, Sean, I believe a record in terms of uh, wide release since the pandemic has hit. Is that accurate? That is. Uh, that tops out Cruella and A Quiet Place Part Two, which kind of went back and forth as they as they upped their theater counts and their uh, their chase weekends after opening. But uh, this is by far, well, I should say by far, by a few hundred theaters, we'll say, uh, and certainly the first to be in over four thousand uh, since uh, March of twenty twenty. Yeah, and of course. Um F9 has already been out in several markets, including the key market of China internationally. Uh, as we record this episode on Tuesday, uh, we're looking at a global cum so far of a little bit over 400 million. Uh, it Over this last weekend, uh, F9 had Mexico's biggest opening since the pandemic. In Brazil and Norway, it had the highest opening day of the pandemic. And in the UK and Ireland, uh, it broke some records as well. So, Sean, I, I think we were certainly expecting this film to to do well. It's it's really the first big popcorny actiony blockbuster of of the summer. How did that 70 million performance kind of stack up against uh, your expectations and and dare I say your hopes? Yeah, I mean we have to really be able to kind of honestly say this is roughly what I really thought it would probably have done or close to it pre-pandemic. Uh maybe not 100%, but you know, in recent months, I, when we were looking at movies coming out in the spring, Godzilla vs. King and, and Mortal Kombat, and then kind of into A Quiet Place 2, it was looking like these movies in a you know still recovering market were maybe earning somewhere around two-thirds to, to three-quarters of what they might have done under normal circumstances. I think this is just one data point. Let's, let's kind of see how the rest of summer plays out is my point of view, but with F9... In particular, I, I think we're looking more now at the ability for movies to hit an even higher mark of their potential, maybe over 80 to 85 percent, uh, potentially even 90 percent. I, I mean, our, our long range forecast on this movie was only around 80 million dollars before COVID-19 was even in anybody's minds. Uh, and I don't want to use that as a benchmark because so many things have changed. It doesn't mean we would have you know, been right with the forecast back then. Uh, necessarily, but really, in the at the end of the day, this was, you know, as you mentioned, kind of the big comeback of popcorn summer movies, and uh, it really lived up to those expectations. 
And it's, you know, F9 was the fourth major studio production that was delayed uh, in March of 2020 when COVID really hit. This feels like uh, kind of a closing of a circle in a way. I guess the true closing will be when No Time to Die finally comes out, but I don't want to wait for the closing of the circle until fall. But of those first four movies, uh, the first four that were delayed were Peter Rabbit 2, No Time to Die, Quiet Place Part 2, and F9. So we've now seen three of those four movies come out in theaters. Uh, even as we still face some possible questions about what's happening with things like the Delta variant of COVID. And it is uh, heartening to see a movie like this perform about as well as we would have expected it to uh, pre-COVID. And Sean, I mean, when you note that it did perform to to your expectations uh, pre-COVID, but you, you don't necessarily want to extrapolate that to a "oh, everything's fine, we're we're recovered" narrative. You know, I, I think a, a key point to note there is not only was F nine released with theatrical exclusivity, I, I feel like the marketing campaign. Um, was even pretty theater centric. You know, I, I'm thinking back to that video of Vin Diesel talking about, um, you know, the power of, I'm, I'm going to try it, the movies. <laughs> it's hard to do Vin Diesel. It's hard only, to do only Vin, Vin Diesel. Diesel can do him. The, the movies. That's why he's such a successful voice actor on top of being a. He's the Iron know, Giant, man. You can't, you can't he disrespect is. He's that. He's Groot. He is Groot. Yeah. <laughs> So, Sean, can you, uh, looking forward at things like, uh, I don't know, well, Black Widow, that's day and date. Um, but you look at something like Shang-Chi, which is going to have theatrical exclusivity. Again, knock on wood that they won't change that. And, and, and maybe now this F9 having this opening weekend will reassure some people in that regard. Does this kind of change your thoughts surrounding the direction the summer is going to with some of these theatrically exclusive releases? Honestly, I don't think it changes a lot. And I say that because we, we kind of see how this is going to play out. We've had this release schedule in front of us for a while now, and we now know that we're getting more movies in July and August, but a lot of them are hybrid releases. Uh, there are a few exclusive ones to theaters like Snake Eyes and, and uh, Shyamalan's Old, and then a few others. But by and large, I think the, the perceived blockbusters of Black Widow uh, Jungle Cruise, The Suicide Squad, they're all going hybrid. I do think the fact that more and more people are going back to the movies works to the advantage of those movies, especially Black Widow and probably The Suicide Squad, because they have very strong fan bases, younger audiences that want to go out to the movies again right now. So I, I would I would say, as great as this F9 news is, it's it's also important to to not get too overexcited and and rush this expectation of how quickly people are coming back, especially when the day and date model is going to be in place so heavily. But I, I, at the same time, now I'll kind of go out on a limb and say that I, I think F9's set a benchmark here that probably will be met by something like Black Widow very soon. And then once we get into the fall, exactly like you mentioned, knock on wood, most of these, if not all of these releases that are, that are on the books stay exclusive and, I think Shang-Chi and, and Venom and then, of course, Bond, all of these movies have, have so much potential to just kind of keep carrying the torch on from what A Quiet Place and now F9 have done this summer. It'll be a really interesting comparison, I, I think, when you have Black Widow versus The Suicide Squad, two films going day and date. 
one, you have to pay an extra 30 bucks for when you do not. You know, I think that's a, uh, that's key as well. I mean, people coming back to see these movies and, and, and reintroducing themselves to the theatrical experience. When it comes to the Suicide Squad, someone might say, oh, well, I already have HBO Max with Black Widow. Oh, I already have Disney Plus, but I don't want to pay 30 bucks for it when I could go see it on the big screen. And, you know, with F9, what we are seeing is uh, of that domestic opening, 5.5 million of that opening weekend was in IMAX, highest IMAX opening since the pandemic, since pre-pandemic, in fact, uh, with Bad Boys for Life. Uh, we also have some statistics from AMC. Uh, for the first weekend, they hit 2 million attendees uh, domestically. That's driven by F9. And then to a lesser extent, you know, A Quiet Place Part 2 and, and those other those other films further on down the line. But uh, in in this press release, uh, they did specifically call out that they are getting really high attendance numbers compared to what they have been getting for those premium formats, things like IMAX, things like Dolby Cinema and, and Prime. So um, yeah, it's, it's hopeful, but as we've, we've spoken about different times, uh, specifically, I think in the in the Heights dissection episode, it's it's definitely an ebb and flow that we're seeing now and that we're going to continue seeing over the next couple months. F9 is also the result of effectively more than 20-year marketing campaign, right? Uh, and that is something that In the Heights cannot benefit from. It's something a lot of other titles can't benefit from. There are very few examples, Black Widow, Shang-Chi, more like Black Widow, set aside, uh, where we can say there's the level of audience awareness that something like F9 enjoys. And it's simply unfair to compare a lot of other titles to F9 because you know these other movies don't have eight previous franchise installments to uh, you know generate interest. And I think to your point there, it, it really, I don't know if we mentioned it already, but F9 did out-open Hobbs and Shaw by about $10 million, the spinoff that released two years ago. And if we really break down the $70 million opening, let's just kind of assume, you know, the average ticket price is really in flux right now because of so many factors, but let's assume it's kind of around maybe $10 nationally, which for, for a movie like this that does play heavily to premium, that would essentially mean it sold around 7 million tickets. And if you go back those 20 years, to your point, the original Fast and the Furious, when it opened to something like 40 million, would translate to a very similar number today. So it it kind of ended up being this generational demand to go see this ninth, tenth movie, whatever it is at this point. And Universal also noted that 74% of the audience was under the age of 35, which I think is an important stat because throughout all of this doom and gloom from the past year, the question has been, would, would future generations, would the younger generation go back to the movies or are they just focused on streaming? This kind of a statistic tells me that, no, it's actually older people who aren't going back yet. The younger people want to go back to the movies. And to your point about kind of the arc of this Fast and Furious franchise, the critical reception on this film has has not really been great. It, it has, a, at this point, a 60% uh, rotten score uh, tomato meter rating. It's a B plus on cinema score. Word of mouth wasn't great. I mean, it's been without Paul Walker now for a few years, unfortunately. And this was also the first movie in over a decade to not have Dwayne Johnson. So this really did rely on Vin Diesel and the family aspect and just that goodwill of, of 20 years of, of, of franchise. And, you know, by and large, it, it really paid off and kind of lived up to that expectation of being the sort of movie that helps provide the next spark for a, a revival of movie going. 
And then looking beyond Fast 9, uh, we saw a 32% drop for A Quiet Place Part 2 uh, in its fifth weekend, uh, pulling in an estimated $6.2 million. Uh, and that drop puts it pretty much in a place with uh, A Quiet Place Part 1, the original movie, which is, I think, a significant factor. Um, Sean, is there anything that really comes to mind when you see those numbers? I think it's, it's impressive, particularly because these drops happened in the face of a $70 million opener that really appealed to a very wide uh, range of demographics. So historically, when that happens, a lot of movies in the marketplace tend to, to take a hit. That's not really been happening. And that speaks to A Quiet Place. And even I would, you know, I think Cruella is an interesting uh, metric because we, we keep having to look at the fact that it's available on Disney Plus, but it's actually holding really well in theaters too. And then Peter Rabbit too, even though it, it did underperform in its opening, uh, it's legging out as you know with very little kiddie movie competition out there, which will change with the Boss Baby and Space Jam next month. But I think this is uh, this is still a positive sign that even though we're far from seeing the you know the ten to twenty million dollar grocers within that n- number three to number five range at the box office during the summer, this is it's kind of a, it's like building a pyramid, and, and now we're seeing you know, these expectations of movies hold a little, hold a little longer, uh, play out. So I think that'll, that'll really continue to be the trend as we get into the heart of summer. And to, to give you a couple of figures to back up what Sean's saying there, to round out the top five, we have uh, Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard at an estimated $4.8 million, which is a 57% drop in its second weekend. We have Peter Rabbit 2 at $4.8 million roughly as well, and then Cruella coming in with $3.75 million. So next weekend, Sean, we have two movies coming out in in genres that we've spoken a lot about over the course of the pandemic. We have a horror movie in uh, The Forever Purge, and we have a children's movie in Boss Baby sequel, Family Business. And then we also have A24 Zola as well, kind of on the more specialty side of things. Uh, Sean, for Purge and Boss Baby, what are your expectations for uh, what they're going to be able to do kind of against F9's second weekend? I, I don't know if there's a lot of crossover between uh, between the Fast and Furious audience and the Boss Baby audience, but this franchise, I mean, people have grown up with it. Like you said, it's it's part of the fabric of American culture at this point. So who knows? Yeah, and the timing is interesting too because this effectively means Universal's putting out three movies within a two-weekend time frame, and I'm sure they're betting on the Fourth of July weekend to to help with that because a lot of people have either Friday or Monday or if not both off of work. So I think the you know probably the slight favorite to repeat would be F9 at the top of the box office. Boss Baby is is really the wild card because a couple of months ago I think this would have been in a really great position as an exclusive theatrical release, having very few other animated movies out there, but now it's part of a hybrid model on Peacock. Uh, so that's just something completely new in the forecasting because this isn't something specific to Peacock that we've seen before. Uh, I, I think it could still do really well, but at the same time, Peter Rabbit 2's performance maybe gives a little hesitance <laughs> to that end in terms of families coming back because I think there is there's still the consideration that not only can kids under 12 not get vaccinated yet, which I think a lot of parents do still consider. Uh, it, on top of that, just other there are so many other things that people are catching up on doing, which I think we, we discussed in a recent episode. Like movie going is not necessarily the number one priority for casual audiences or customers yet. It will slowly get there, but I think people are focused on going on vacations and seeing families, especially over Fourth of July weekend. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting continuation of the F9 test. 
but considering that Black Widow is going to be right around the corner, I would expect kind of a, a somewhat muted performance from from the openers this weekend, uh, leading into bigger and better things in July. The Purge is interesting, though, because we've seen pretty consistent domestic results for the Purge movies so far, hovering at around 70 domestic total for each of the films. But we've seen the international climb steadily on all of those movies uh, with the international uh, release of uh, the, the last movie in the franchise, the most recent one, The First Purge, being at like 137 million compared to, I don't know, what are we talking about, like 90 million internationally for the original. Um, do you expect that we're going to see uh, that at least hold for the Forever Purge or perhaps even climb? That's, I wish we'd been able to ask that like before the pandemic because I probably would have said yes. Now, I think this is one of those movies that it raises the question of what people are in the mood to see right now after you know living through a nightmare of a year and a half. And Spiral was kind of an early example of that when it opened in May and, and really did kind of miss expectations that were somewhat conservative. There are, there are a few differences there between the franchises and I think the marketing and the familiarity. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that Purge audience does show up. But at the same time, I wouldn't be too shocked if, if maybe it does get hit a little bit by the fact that it's coming out in this strange environment where the world has changed dramatically. And uh, there's kind of this question of, of what the psychology is of today's moviegoer. I mean, for me, it'll be a balancing act of, uh, you know, I want, I want to see The Forever Purge, but uh, do I venture out into the horrific heat and get on a hot subway car uh, to get to that sweet, sweet movie theater air conditioning? Uh, it'll, be a, it'll be a game time decision for me, I think. Sean, Rebecca, thanks for your insights. Great to talk to you again. Thanks again to Dolby for sponsoring this week's episode. We will return next week to discuss The Forever Purge and The Boss Baby, which is a really interesting double feature. Hope you have a great 4th of July weekend. Stay cool and safe until then. Take care. Take care.